0: Welcome to the Wirecard Saga, a podcast with Tom Fox and Mikhail Ryder-Gordon, Managing Director of Institutional Ethics and Integrity at Affiliated Monitors. Over this podcast series, we're going to take a deep dive into the Wirecard Saga to see where it may take us literally across the globe. Mikhail Ryder-Gordon and myself continue our exploration of all things Wirecard with our discrepancy episode. We take a look at just. Dis- Dissuasions by Marcus Braun, the Bundestag uh, investigation, the accumulation of abnormalities, the auditors, the more political fallout, and often backfooted through the entire process. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox I'm back again uh, with Mikhail Ryder Gordon for another episode in the Wirecard saga. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that we have now spun this podcast off uh, to its own separate podcast, separate and apart from the FCPA Compliance Report. So, uh, Mikhail, first of all, uh, welcome to our new and old podcast.
1: Our new and old podcast. Thanks, Tom. Um, It's great to be back, or new. I'm not sure which.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We are recording this uh, the first week after Thanksgiving, and we missed... um, the week of Thanksgiving. So we've got a fair amount to catch up on, Makael. So, uh, where do you suggest we start today? Oh, gosh.
1: Okay. Well, let's just tell U.S. listeners, the U.S. listeners right now, I, I know your celebrations were smaller, but chances are good you still overindulge. So, really, on the eating front, let's face it, you're going for a walk or a run to try to work some of it off. So, just put us, download us right now. This podcast, this is going to keep you company. We got a lot of good stuff. It's juicy, like a turkey. <laughs> Okay, so, whilst U.S. folks were tucking into Turkey, the Bundestag investigative committee were grappling with some turkeys of their own. Herr Braun, we're speaking to you. Not once to celebrate Thanksgiving, the IC plowed on with hearings and, oh my gosh, the stuff that's come out in the last two weeks. All right, first up, or should we say first in the dock, disgraced former CEO, Wirecard, Marcus Braun. I said disgraced because Bundestag MP and IC member Florian Tonkar said of Marcus Braun, he was Wirecard. This is not just any witness. However, <clears throat> Herr Braun kept his level of pretension high and his cooperation low. Despite having been transferred from Augsburg prison, uh, specially to come to talk to the IC, no sooner were the handcuffs off, his gloves were on this is not a repentant individual. He, who was reputedly known to swan from his chauffeur-driven Maybach limousine straight up to a private elevator to his office at Wirecard headquarters with nary a nod to the little people, that is, Wirecard employees, maintained an arrogant demeanor for the Bundestag IC, almost specially for them. At least he's consistent. Seriously, The guy's been languishing in prison for five months, but seemingly still thinks he's the big, big something. After failing to prevent having to appear before the IC in person, and Braun's lawyers had filed motions, appealing up to the Federal Court of Justice there, seeking to have him testify via video at most, Braun sat before the IC, cleared his throat, and read a short prepared statement. He gave his name, his age, claimed to be a business IT specialist, okay, and then proceeded to state the following, and this is a quote, I trust in the independence and objectivity of the investigative authorities. I trust in particular that the Munich Public Prosecutor's Office will extensively clear up the procedural issues, and by that I mean the whereabouts of the embezzled company funds. Seemingly attempting to distance himself from any involvement in said embezzlement? Do we have a disassociation disorder going on? He went on to say, in the end, independent courts will decide who is responsible for the collapse of Wirecard AG. Uh, Yeah, that's true. But these nice people here from the formal Bundestag investigative committee, number three, the ones you're speaking to, uh, they also have a say in what happens to you counsel neglect to explain this? Braun said he had also refused to speak to the Munich public prosecutors, you know, the office that's charged him with fraud, embezzlement, and various and other sundry crimes, but then claimed that he would like to cooperate with the Munich public prosecutor and announced that a comprehensive statement to said prosecutor's office would be forthcoming. Now, whilst prosecutors see him as the driving force behind the large-scale fraud, Braun presented himself more as an uninvolved observer. Marcus, willst du mich version? Are you trying to take the piss? The Munich Public Prosecutor's Office confirmed that Braun had, quote, recently declared a willingness to provide testimony, but then, as the spokesman for the office went on to say... Quote, we cannot foresee the scope of the information he, Braun, intends to provide, nor can we foresee whether this will involve full cooperation. Because, you see, the prosecutor's office views Braun as rather integral to the entire Wire Garage scandal. They told the IC via an email, quote, according to the current state of investigation, Dr. Braun acted as a control and controlling force within the Wirecard gang. Braun provided strategic instructions and concrete business actions. They likened Braun to a puppet master. <laughs> so, Arcus, they sound like maybe they have a better handle on this than you do? Maybe time to rethink your strategy? Braun justified his refusal to testify since all the facts surrounding Wirecard presented what he thought or called a mosaic like overall picture. That is, it's also entangled. Any information he might impart could be, well, criminally relevant. Oddly, however, he proceeded to defend the regulators and the wire card auditors. Uh-huh. Moktegarn executive Braun claimed, quote, At no time have I received any indications that authorities, supervisory bodies or politicians, have not behaved correctly improperly or unfairly. Oh, and as to EUI, they were, in his words, quote, apparently massively deceived. Uh, Yeah, seemingly someone or someones did engage in a massive deception. That would certainly begin to sum up the level of fraud and deceit perpetrated by the company you helmed, Herr Braun. He then refused to say another word. For two hours, Repeatedly, Bassarvisor Braun just kept saying I invoke my right to refuse to testify. MPs asked him some fifty questions, including what do you say to the investors who have lost millions? Silent. Are you aware of the severe damage you've caused this country's reputation as a place to do business? And can you conceive of the damage and confidence you've done to German government institutions? Silent. Have you made mistakes? Silence. Downright ununstandig or rude. He was only willing to give his date of birth when asked. He appears to think he's a POW and only wants to give his name, rank, and serial number to the enemy. Marky, this isn't something out of Boy's Own. As MP Matthias Hauer of the CDU so succinctly stated, this is not how you deal with the Bundestag. Now, this nonsense with Braun only giving his birthdate it actually kind of squares with something else the public prosecutor's office said about Braun. They told the IC that Braun was big on oaths of allegiance, a little Trumpy in that, and what they called a martial spirit Braun tried to invoke at Wirecard. They said Braun may have attempted to use methods of psychological warfare among Wirecard employees, controlling them via intimidation. So let's think about this. We have a former low-level KPMG manager, or a small Austrian man, who demands loyalty, holds global ambitions, plays at being a military general, and tries to use intimidation tactics to control people. Hmm. (laughs) Does that remind you of? And we've got his right-hand man, Marsalek, the high school dropout and former IT geek programmer, who took to keeping guns and shooting targets at his home, taking armed escorts to meet Chechen politicians, buying exotic fur-lined coats, and fantasizing he's James Bond to the point of becoming an easy patsy uh, for the Russians, and together pretending to lead a listed company that was nothing but a massive fraud from day one. Essentially, two dorks forgot they're no longer playing Dungeons and Dragons, and via their delusions and fantasies, end up bringing about one of the biggest German corporate scandals with political and regulatory fallout in recent history. Unbloody believable. When Braun was called as a witness to the IC hearings, there were high expectations. As a member of the FDP party, Frank Scheffler said, and I'm paraphrasing here, apart from Marsalek, Braun is probably the main person responsible for the wirecard fraud who can shed light on what happened. Mm, indeed, the prosecutor's office has suggested Braun was the ringleader and Marsalik his henchman. And the IC was so certain that answers to many of their questions would finally be forthcoming when Braun took the witness stand. Entanglements with intelligence services that the committee members wanted information on, not to mention Braun's meeting in 2019 with State Secretary and Deputy Finance Minister Jörg Kukas, you know, the one where rather unexpectedly Kukas made a house call to Braun, Braun's home without anyone else from the ministry to, uh, to be part of that chinwag. Several parties, including the AFD, the Greens, and the FDP, find that visit highly suspicious and were hoping to get some answers out of Braun. So, too, the committee thought it would be hearing details about Wirecard's interaction with Chancellor Merkel's office as well. And let's not forget Wirecard's chumminess with Finance Minister Olaf Scholz, inquiring minds want to know, especially in the lead-up to the 21 national elections. In fact, Braun's lawyer had announced that Braun would comment on his contacts with politicians and regulators. Oops, I guess counsel forgot to tell Mark to speak up. To quote another MP, Jens Zimmerman, who was anticipating Braun's testimony, today it is getting serious. Only thanks to Braun keeping mum, it didn't get serious in quite the way the Bundestag was expecting. Members of Parliament were more than a little annoyed by Braun's behavior. They also asked questions on a trial basis that had nothing to do with the specific allegations. They they just said, you know, like, for instance, what's your attitude to say good corporate governments? Or how do you think a company like Wirecard should fundamentally function? Braun had nothing to say. Florian Tonkar from the FDP admonished Braun that his complete refusal did not correspond to the prevailing legal view, saying that the prosecutor's investigation is on the same footing as the IC committee. Another SPD member, so indignant, she asked Braun if he knew the damage he'd caused to the economic system and to Germany as a whole. MP Damasi, Broadened his questions as the hours ticked on and Braun sat there mute, even raising the question of whether Wirecard had profited from child pornography. Now, on that one, you'd expect at least a denial. Braun remained silent, didn't even try to refute it. Daniel Baez, MP with Alliance 90 in the Greens, warned Braun that his conduct before the committee influenced his perception in the history books. Says, after all, Wirecard, one of the biggest German economic scandals ever. Braun held fast. Another MP, the chair of the IC committee, Gottschalk, had asked a number of questions. Still, Braun didn't answer. Is Braun Beschurt or er, stupid or crazy? The IC was more than a wee bit peeved. The lower house of the Bundestag has started formal proceedings against Braun, which require him to substantiate his refusal to cooperate and to answer under oath. If his justifications fail to validate his grounds for his refusal to talk, additional jail time and fines are a strong possibility, according to members of the IC. Uh, In fact... Florian Tonkar found Braun so unconvincing, he said, quote, he seems to include himself to be a victim of fraud of some unnamed party. I don't believe him. It's a strategy that isn't credible. Indeed, they were so, the IC was so angered by Braun and his stubbornness, during a break in the session, you could overhear MPs discussing potential sanctions to levy against Braun for being so obstinate he is going to be called back. They've made it clear the IC will be calling Braun back to testify. And the next time, the IC has made it clear Braun will face legal retribution if he refuses to answer the committee's questions. In fact, as one member of the IC said, I guarantee one thing, we will invite him again to testify to the committee. This is not the last time we've seen Marcus Braun in the German Bundestag. Braun's attitude, it's an unusual strategy. Not testifying prior to filing his statement with a public prosecutor, that's not surprising. However, the fact that he has admitted to not yet cooperating with a public prosecutor doesn't bode well for his future. His failure to demonstrate respect or remorse to the Bundestag, the German public, or to any of the investors who lost vast sums of money is not really sitting well with much of anyone at least in Germany. But then Herr Braun isn't German, is he? As Braun was leaving the hearing room, Fabio de Masi offered him a copy of a recent book by German journalists about the Wirecard scandal, asking Braun if he needed any reading material in prison. Braun didn't bat an eye and calmly replied that he, quote, didn't need any literature, thank you. (laughs) Well, no, not with all those Biggles books still to finish learning from. The IC continued to be somewhat thwarted from the slew of folks that followed Braun. It had summoned Stefan von Erfah, Oliver Ballenhaus, Wolf Matthias, Thomas Eichelmann, and uh, Tina Kleingarn to testify. Now, former Wirecard uh, head of accounting von Erfah and former Wirecard Middle East exec Ballenhaus also invoked their right not to testify. But they handled matters just a little differently from Braun. Bellenhaus, via video conferencing from uh, Steidelheim prison, apologized to the IC. After introducing himself, he stated, quote, First of all, I would like to thank you for giving me the opportunity to make my introductory statement, and I would like to take the opportunity to apologize to you as representatives of the public as well as to the injured parties. The matter to be clarified here today is a huge disaster that cannot be glossed over by anything. He went on to say that he would face his individual responsibility, but asked the IC to understand why he was unable to testify to them at that moment. Because you see, unlike Braun, Bellenhaus, and recall, he was the first to the post back in the summer to turn himself into the public prosecutor's office and agree to be a witness for the prosecution. Unlike Braun, Ballenhaus is already working with the prosecutor on a complete statement and a plea deal. As he told the IC, he's been working with the public prosecutor's office at full speed to clarify all the complexities and arrive at an agreement. Remember, Bellenhouse has already admitted in a public confession that he falsified Wirecard balance sheets in collaboration with Braun and Marsalek. So with his attorney at his side, Bellenhaus told the IC that he could anticipate him being available to testify to the committee in early January at the very latest. Ooh, listeners, this is going to be so good. A seasonal present just for us. Bellenhaus's contrition and willingness to provide a specific timetable for testimony went down a treat with the IC. MP Matthias Hauer told Bellenhaus at the hearing, we've taken note of your statement, a note that you've apologized. It's more than we've heard from anywhere else today. Fabio De Masi added, oh, Mr. Bellenhaus was apparently the only one who understood what the public expected of him. Von Erfa, he refused to testify, but did tell the IC he would work with them in the future. After Bellenhaus' statement and a bit of pressure from the IC, Von Erfa capitulated via his attorney and agreed to appear before the committee again in January, and at that time, he would testify. So this anticipates that Von Erfa will have completed his interviews with the public prosecutor, filed his initial statement with that office, and made a preliminary deal with them. However, Von Erfa also failed to apologize, and this oversight caused the IC to admonish him, telling him that if he attempted any further delaying tactics or thought he could behave like Braun had, the IC would not look kindly upon it. Now, not yet called to testify before the IC, we also learned that former Chief Monetary Officer Alexander von Rupp has been cooperating with the Public Prosecutor's Office and is open to answering all questions of the IC. So, we can anticipate that he will likely be called in January as well, this ought to be interesting, as Van Noop is believed to have additional insight into the deals Marsalik and Henry O'Sullivan cooked up. Did any witnesses provide anything substantive to the IC? One did. Tina Kleingard, who had served on Wirecard's supervisory board between 2016 and 2017, testified. Now, Kleingard was quite candid. She told the IC she had stepped down from the supervisory board for several reasons— Lack of transparency with respect to Wirecard's corporate culture, doubts about the processes of Wirecard. And here she cited as an example Braun having added new members to the management board. And recall the two board structure. You go back to episode three, Germany Inc. If you forget, Braun added new members to the management board without consulting the supervisory board in the decision. The management board were said to have resisted any effective oversight thereby creating risks, according to Kleingarn. Yeah, not surprising. And failed to share meaningful information with the supervisory board. And she provided another example. In this one, she spoke of loan guarantees that were shared with the supervisory board after the loans had already been paid out weeks prior. Kleingarn went on to speak of Braun's charisma and the fact that he was, quote, Lord of the House of Wirecard. She also discussed having erroneously put trust in the management board, saying she felt lied to and deceived, describing an accumulation of abnormalities at Wirecard that prompted her to depart the board. But most tellingly, she discussed key factors. The supervisory board, supervisors, investors, regulators, they all trusted the attestation from the annual audit they trusted EY's opinion of the financial health of Wirecard. During her tenure, she openly lamented Wirecard's opaque corporate culture and the supervisory board's lack of insight into the company's business activities. She lamented the supervisory board couldn't control the management board. However, Kleincorn, whilst claiming to have no knowledge of the fraud occurring at Wirecard, then wrote letters upon her resignation one to her fellow supervisory board members, which highlighted the risks and lack of transparency at the company and questioned the delay of the issuance of a clean audit report for Wirecard, which had only been given at the, quote, last minute for the 2015 fiscal year. Now, as Kleingarn identified, there was a significant discrepancy between the supervisory board's ideas of a good corporate governance and the reality of Wirecard. Bundestag members immediately picked up on this idea, noting that Germany Inc. needed to seriously reform its framework for corporate governance. Now, undeterred from this batch of uncooperative former Wirecard execs, on November 25th, the IC called six additional witnesses, but this from the accounting world. They had to testify on the 26th. Alexander Goshenik of KPMG Christian Ort, Stefan Heisner, Martin Dahm, Dahmen, and Andreas Letcher of EY, and Frank Stahl of Baker Tilly. Now, to understand, Insolvency Administrator Michael Jaffa had formally released EY and KPMG folks from their respective duty of confidentiality to Wirecard. Now, Baker Tilly didn't have such a right to assert to begin with. So, how did this testimony go? <laughs> Two of the EY folks. Ort and Heisner were fined 1,000 euros for refusing to testify. Stahl with Baker Tilly, fined 1,000 euros for refusing to testify. Way to make the professional services world look ethical, guys. Well done. Public hearing on a massive corporate fraud and you clammed up. Alba Kishenek of KPMG claimed they feared being prosecuted for violating their duty of confidentiality. Well, Fear being prosecuted may not be misplaced, just not for violating the terms of the audit agreement with Wirecard. Because, as MP De Masi pointed out, the Bundestag and quite possibly the public prosecutor's office hold, quote, considerable doubts that the audits and advisement work was, quote, undertaken with due diligence. Why weren't the other two E-Wires fined? Well, because dominant and they're already under investigation for their part in the Wirecard crimes. So, let's back up for a minute. EY is claiming client confidentiality rules forbid them from testifying to the IC. They also claim these rules for the audit firm extend to the individual audits, auditors. Hmm. So, EY or Orth, through his lawyer, claims that despite Yaffa having released him, from maintaining confidentiality over the audits EY conducted on Wirecard, it is his belief that privilege can't be waived purely by YAFA, who now is administrator controls what is left of Wirecard. Rather, it's the board members at the time the audits were conducted that would need to grant confidentiality waivers. <laughs> folks, this essentially has EY and Baker Tilly claiming they need Braun Marsalek von Urfa and Compadres to waive confidentiality. Seriously? Yeah. So now uh, th- that there is no longer any seated wire cardboard, as we all know, now the IC asserts that their subpoena power as a legislative body holds equal weight to that of the public prosecutor's office, and that these folks are compelled to testify when summoned. However... It looks like this debate is now set to head up to Germany's high court. If the court rules the IC's demands overrides the now non-existent boards, these guys are going to have to be back to testify. At the hearings, the Ewires and Baker Tilly advisor were peppered with questions. In response, the most they did was mumble vagaries about the professional responsibilities. The two under investigation, and we'll get back to them in a minute, just refused to testify, but they weren't fined as they were invoking their right not to self-incriminate as the German Supervisory Authority over Auditing Practices, Opus, they're conducting an investigation into the very issues they were being asked about by the IC. Okay. By now, you've picked up on the fact that one person isn't mentioned here. KPMG's Alexander Gorshenik. Now, Gashanek had plenty to tell the IC. He walked the IC through the special audit KPMG had been tasked to perform on Wirecard Asia. He described how Wirecard AG had put up, quote, significant hurdles and obstacles to thwart KPMG's 40-person team. Documents arrived late or not at all. Interview appointments with Wirecard managers would fall off schedules or be missed entirely. The team worked to identify the third-party providers and determined that there was insufficient or adequate evidence that sales revenues, transfers, merchant relationships were non-existent or highly flawed out of Wirecard Asia. At one point, according to Kishanek, KPMG contemplated abandoning the special audit altogether, saying, quote, it proved impossible to sufficiently comprehend the transaction volumes from 2016 to 2018. He went on to speak of team members traveling out to the Philippines to review cash supposedly being held by two banks in Manila by a trustee. And listeners, if you missed this backstory, go back to episodes one through seven, which all discussed the Wirecard frauds out in the Philippines. But of course, those banks in Manila couldn't produce evidence of the escrow accounts, and six months of forensic review resulted in that damning report that ultimately we'd see Wirecard collapse from. Now, Geschenek told the IC that they let the facts speak for themselves, but then noted that had Wirecard not published the KPMG report, KPMG had determined they would publish the report themselves. Because interestingly, KPMG had written this into their contract with Wirecard for this special audit as a precautionary measure. Isn't that intriguing? Did Eichelman suspect Wirecard executive management would try to bury this report and therefore allow this provision to be inserted into the contract? Ha! Kishenek did not spare EY, saying the auditor should have identified the Wirecard fraud much sooner and could, quote, obtain sufficient proof of examination. This is not rocket science. EY just didn't do it. (laughs) Speaking of which... Listeners, let's turn back to those two EYers who were summoned to testify but who declined because they're currently under investigation, Domin and Letcher. If the Letcher name sounds familiar from our prior episodes, well spotted. Letcher was a partner at EY for 20 years and oversaw the auditing of Wirecard. He departed EY less than two years ago to join Deutsche Bank as its head of accounting. (laughs) Well, awkwardly for all involved, Opus, that audit oversight agency, is now investigating Dominant and role in the Wirecard scandal. As in, how did EY and the two most senior partners with direct oversight of the audits manage to not find evidence of this massive fraud, specifically those bogus profits the company reported from 2015 onward? But the ick factor goes deeper than that. Transpires EY, Locher's prior employer, is set to become Deutsche Bank's auditor in 2021. (laughs) Well, that's convenient. We haven't discussed it in detail in this podcast, but Deutsche Bank has suffered its own litany of financial scandals over the past decade. Opus is scrutinizing Letcher for potential violations of professional duties. Now, if found guilty by Opus, Letcher and Dahmen would likely be fined. They could even be debarred, although now that Letcher's not functioning in an auditor capacity with Deutsche That wouldn't necessarily be much of a punishment. However, it turns out that Opus quietly let the Munich Public Prosecutor's Office know that, huh, EY may have acted criminally with respect to Wirecard. Oops. (laughs) So the Prosecutor's Office is currently evaluating whether to bring criminal charges against the firm or certain partners responsible for auditing Wirecard, like Letcher and Dahmen. I don't care what major auditing firms may claim. We know, and they know, and investors, regulators, and boards take those annual audit reports to heart. And German parliamentarians appear to hold this view as well. Whilst many were online shopping for Black Friday, on Friday, December, uh, November 27th, the Bundestag heard debate and reviewed two proposals submitted by two opposition parties to seriously reform corporate audits. This is a big first. The first proposal from the left group is entitled Reforming Auditing, Reducing Conflicts of Interest. Now, their motion um, is seeking major reorganization of Germany's audit system, claiming Wirecard is not an isolated case. Oh, really? Ouch. The proposal, among other things, seeks to reduce opportunities for, well, conflicts of interest, fraud. And how are they doing this? They've proposed to create a central fund into which companies would pay. This legislation would have companies no longer freely designating and paying their auditors for their audits. Rather, they'd pay into a fund on a pay-as-you-go basis. From this fund, auditors would be randomly appointed and remunerated every five years, depending on the size and scope of the audit. The appointment of the auditor would be made by an independent regulatory authority. And additionally, audit firms would be precluded from offering advisory services to any company they audited, and the program would be available to companies of all sizes. Similarly, the Green Party has proposed legislation that would reform the audit process. Now, theirs, whose title includes designed to quickly detect and successfully combat balance sheet fraud, which may be a little ambitious, envisions changing auditing and accounting rules by enshrining in law that auditors be tasked with detecting balance sheet fraud. Their legislation, like that of the left, also seeks to reduce the length of time any one audit firm could hold a client and would force a rotation of audit firms at minimum every six years for any publicly traded company. And like the last proposed legislation, their proposal would preclude audit firms from offering advisory services to any audit clients. But there's another little detail lurking in the Greens' motion a call for Boffin to be given teeth and formally tasked with ensuring the integrity of the securities market, including the gray capital market, which is largely unregulated. That's where Wirecard would have fallen. Both proposals have moved forward for consideration by the lead committee, so they're now going to Legal Affairs and Consumer Protection Committee, so they're active and in play. Hmm, Maybe EY's folks should have been a little more cooperative with those IC hearings. Has there been more fallout? Oh, absolutely. The political and regulatory fallout from Wirecard continues unabated and largely being driven ultimately by the questions the IC is asking. Not just in these verbal hearings, but in a trench of written submissions, lengthy, lengthy questionnaires to all manner of federal German federal government agencies. Now, before the IHC hearings on Thursday last week, the IC held a press conference with, of all people, FT journalist Dan McCrum, whom they've also called as a witness. Now understand the IC will be delivering this report before the end of the parliamentary term next year, right? And that concludes July 2021, just as German elections kick off. The questions the IC has been submitting and writing to various government ministries has asked some really awkward pointed, well, inquiries. The IC, predicated on a written response it received from the federal government, has called former defense minister Carl the- Theodor Gutenberg, uh, He, of the CSU party and chancellery and lobbyist for Wirecard, he's been called to testify. As MP Baez noted, I'm afraid we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. Yes, an FDP chairman of the Bundestags Finance Committee says, yeah, we're not letting up on the federal government with respect to the questions we're asking about Wirecard. It's come out that in 2017, German financial supervisors did discuss Wirecard as Wirecard had announced plans to integrate its banking subsidiary directly into Wirecard AG. Now, this process would have triggered what is known as an owner-control procedure at Boffin. When an owner-control procedure event occurs, Boffin is required to, amongst other things, determine whether the new owner, in this case Wirecard AG, is considered reliable. Boffin apparently did look at the deal and then gave the German Central Bank a thumbs-up report. Hmm. However, Wirecard failed to execute the integration within the required time period. Why? Well, the Bundestag Finance Committee asked for details from the ECB as to why it hadn't discovered any reliability issues with Wirecard during this owner control procedure. The Finance Committee received Bupkes in response. So they tried their luck with the federal government and asked the same question. Boffin answered, saying Wirecard's reorg of Wirecard Bank into Wirecard AG was aimed at avoiding an otherwise existing obligation to consolidate and was viewed in hindsight by Boffin as a diversionary tactic. The Bundestag's Finance Committee, in receiving this response, said, and this is a quote, one cannot fail to regard the worthless audit results of the ECB and Boffin as a resounding slap in the face for creditor protection. The IC had already asked Boffin for details on its employees and those of other ministries and subordinate authorities involved in any form of supervision over companies, asking about, well, potential insider trading. Remember all of those Boffin employees who turned out to hold Wirecard shares? Well, Boffin responded to the IC's questions, identifying some 497 trades or trading accounts associated with no fewer than 85 Boffin employees that held Wirecard shares between January 1st, 2018 and September 30th, 2020. 497. The IC then asked, well, how many of those 85 employees disclosed these Wirecard transactions in advance? Answer, none. The IC used this as, well, potentially violative of the German Securities Trading Act or the Market Abuse Ordinance or both. Boffin admitted only three out of the 85 employees had admitted to the trades after they'd made them. Boffin then further admitted its employees While subject to the general prohibitions of insider trading, and and if said employees were identified as having engaged in insider trading, it would admittedly constitute a crime as well as a breach of duty, but Boffin says there really doesn't exist an obligation to disclose, quote, non-commercial securities transactions. So as an agency, they don't really know to what extent their employees have invested privately in such securities. There are special declarations that separate private interests from their job duties. Seriously? The IC fired off a lengthy list of subsequent questions to Boffin regarding these 497, quote, private finance transactions involving Wirecard. So we'll see what Boffin comes up with as a response in its next next round. Meanwhile, the Federal Ministry of Finance quietly let slip that they've formed their own compliance unit, claiming it's not because of Wirecard, nothing to do with the scandal. The timing just happens to coincide. What does the compliance unit include? New insider trading prohibitions, improved transparency, and efforts to avoid the appearance of conflicts of interest by employees. Mm Mm-hmm purely coincidental coming up with these new rules and oversight unit during the Wirecard hearings. Oh, sure. It has also come out that Boffin fielded an objection from the Bundesbank regarding Boffin's short-seller ban on Wirecard back in 2019. Now, listeners recall, back in Episode 10, I had discussed EU law regarding when it was and was not appropriate to claim threats to national financial security when invoking bans on short-selling. It came out on November 24th that, well, yes, it would seem the Bundesbank questioned Boffin's analysis and said it couldn't really justify the ban. There wasn't a national financial security threat just because of bad news about Wirecard. But Boffin ignored it. PREP, useless agency that it was, is sided with Boffin because whilst they actually they didn't actually ask for evidence. They made the assumption that Boffin couldn't possibly have made this assertion or this claim as a threat to financial security unless it possessed evidence that contraindicated all of the negative press about Wirecard. It assumed Boffin had something to refute the negative press. Really? Meanwhile, in response to questions the IC posed regarding Wirecard's liquidity and financial supervision have said, further details about those outsized loans from various banks – remember in Episode 4, I discussed the huge losses incurred by lenders such as ING and ABM-ANRO? Well, greater details have emerged as part of a response to the IC's questions to the federal government. 15 banks extended 1.8 billion euros to Wirecard that subsequently disappeared just prior to the company filing for insolvency. Turns out, 363 million euros was funneled to three names we all know so well. Al Alam in Dubai, that was Bellenhouse's group connected to Wirecard Middle East. Pay Easy Solutions in the Philippines, that was Christopher Bauer and involved in concealing the false accounts in that country, and OCAP Management in Singapore our boy O'Sullivan, all three directly tied to Marsalik. In the first quarter of 2020, Wirecard paid out some $870 of these loan monies. Now, interestingly, of the 15, two banks are Chinese state-owned, Agricultural Bank of China and Bank of China, and two are Austrian. The table of loans and known payouts has only prompted the IC to issue another extensive round of written questions back to the government see answer one one question get asked five more further fallout from the disclosure around Marsalik's ties to foreign intelligence agencies yep the ic bombarded the federal government with questions about wirecard Marsalik ties to russia via the austrian and russian society the austrian bvt and received back as a response from the german state secretary himself hans george engelk Engel, that after careful consideration, (laughs) the government doesn't want to answer these questions. Invocation of working methods and procedures of German intelligence agencies, mumbles about jeopardizing active operations, information sought by the Bundestag was so sensitive it was classified, even compartmentalized. But he did let out that German intelligence is actively sharing the information it holds about Marsalik, the BVT, Russia, and Wirecard with other foreign intelligence services. <laughs> See, this is what keeps us coming back week after week. There's more to come, folks. And there's there's more right now. The German government announced the overhaul of the DAX index, and its operator, Quantico, part of the Deutsche Börse, will be increasing the number of members from 30 to 40. But now, to join the ranks of the 40, it will require members to have fully staffed audited, audit committees, Submit quarterly statements, as well as annual audit results, and demonstrate that EBITDA, the company, has been profitable for the past two years. Failure to meet any of these new criteria will result in a very swift removal. That was another reform, the ability to remove a company after a 30-day warning. This big revision attributed to Wirecard. (laughs) Thanks, Wirecard. Wirecard. Now, Administrator Michael Jaffa continues on Winding Wirecard. The Munich District Court announced after its first creditor meeting that there are no fewer than 11,500 creditors queued up, and they filed claims totaling more than €12 billion. Let's put this in some context, okay? In Germany in 2019, according to Reuters, There were some 19,400 companies of all sizes that filed BK. And the average amount of damages for creditors from those 19,000 plus companies, the average was 856,000 euros. Wirecard, with claims of 12.4 billion, that's 14,000 times the German average. Yikes. What's the chance even a fraction of this amount will be recovered? Well, a few days ago, the Singapore High Court did dismiss a motion made by no less than OCAP management, you know, Henry O'Sullivan's entity that benefit from wirecard card loans and Marsalix deals that used to be known as Senjo. If you forget, go see episodes 9, 10, and 11. OCAP was sufficiently cheeky to actually file a motion with the Singapore High Court seeking millions of dollars from Wirecard. Mm -hmm. They wanted a $2.85 million payment immediately, followed by, wait for it, monthly installments of a million dollars thereafter. They whinged that they needed to pay staff salaries, taxants, accountants lawyers, and that these were buy-in agreements with various and sundry wirecard entities, including Wirecard Bank and Wirecard Technologies, and that they, OCAP, shouldn't be denied. The Singaporean prosecutors showed up at court and pointed out that authorities in that country had already seized nearly $9 million from OCAP and a related entity on suspicion that the monies were the proceeds of crime but there's OCAP demanding Wirecard make good on its promises to them. The prosecution helpfully pointed out to the judge that OCAP appeared to have continued access to, quote, sizable revenue streams from its clients and subsidiaries, which hadn't been accounted for. Upon submission of that evidence, OCAP's lawyers withdrew the claim for funds from the Wirecard entities. Now, recall, OCAP's current MD is a former Wirecard exec married to a current Wirecard exec. Don't these people ever talk to one another? Huckmest. At least this isn't going to cut into what Yafa can recover for the creditors now that it's not going to be paid out to OCAP. Yafa thus far has raised nearly 500 million euros from the sale of the various Wirecard bits and pieces, but that is nowhere near that $12 he may have to resort to paying creditors in beet and beets and trinkets. There must be some Wirecard branded swag that could be auctioned off to raise funds for repayment. Aren't there some Wirecard beach towels or something? Did I mention that the $12 billion for the 11500 creditors does not include the six primary Wirecard subsidiaries who are also insolvent but have to hold their own creditor meetings? Mm. Now, technically the shareholders who lost money don't qualify as creditors. Yet. How could they qualify? Well, they can file for damages from the fraud. So expect that list of creditors to grow substantially. Okay, folks, we are out of time despite having so much more to chat about. On upcoming episodes, we'll take that deep dive into that ESMA report and analyze what controls are or are not so effective when it comes to supervising FIs and detecting and preventing money laundering using, of course, Wirecard as our exemplar. Mm. And whilst we wait for the explosive testimony that we can anticipate from Von Erfa and Bellenhaus and company in January, we'll get back to two of the sectors that earned Wirecard profits because Let's face it, nothing says holidays like games of chance and porn. And we'll pick up the investigations into Wirecard activities going on in other jurisdictions, the U.S., Mauritius, Singapore, the Philippines, the U.K., New Zealand. And we'll continue analyzing what is coming out of the IC. So stay tuned. That's it for lies, spies, and corporate crime, Wirecard the Saga this week. I'm Mikhail Ryder-Gordon. Thanks to my host, Tom Fox, of the Compliance Podcast Network. We'll be back next week.
2: As I said in the introduction, Mikhail, Ryder, Gordon, and myself are going to be taking a deep dive on the Wirecard case over the next several weeks. I hope you will join us again. This special podcast series will focus on the events on the ground and each week, and then we're going to take a deep dive. Some of the topics we're going to cover include Germany, Inc., the regulatory response, what this means for the overall FinTech and... EU regulatory world, and a variety of other interesting angles to the Wirecard case. I hope you will stick with us throughout this series. I know you will find it incredibly enjoyable as this is one of the largest frauds uh, since the Enron Worldcon days and the largest accounting fraud in Germany since World War II. It's going to be a ton of fun. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Please leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate that on iTunes.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.